Welcome to Mind the Gap, Enablix's only podcast on sales and marketing alignment. I'm your host, Nick Zeke Lopez, and today I'm joined by Tom Lloyd. Tom, how's it going? Yeah, not bad. How about you? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. Um, now I know we've got a lot to to cover today. We had talked a little bit about what we had wanted to discuss. Uh, to kick it off, could you start with a little bit about your background um, and and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah, I'm Tom BB Marketing at Sedna. I spent time at several B two B SaaS startups, scale ups uh, from seed stage through to Series E, uh, VC backed, PE backed, UK based, US based. Um, I think. Uh, how I got into it, it was actually kind of by, by mistake. You know, I uh, had quit my previous job. I was, you know, you know, in a kind of period of like, okay, what should I do next? I was actually at a job center in the UK. That's where you go when you're, you know, in between jobs and you, you need to find the next step. And a lady came up to me and said, okay, we're doing courses for, mm-hmm. you know, people in your situation. I saw like, you know, plumbing, carpentry, and there was one that was graphic design and marketing. I was like, okay, I'll give that a shot. Blah, 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 blah. A few months later, I landed my first marketing job. Uh, it happened to be a startup backed by the Birch Brothers. So uh, they were the founders of Bebo, the social network. They sold AOL and kind of first experience of just that kind of that world. I was like, from that day on, I was hooked. I'm like, okay, this is uh, the thing for me. So yeah, here I am today leading a team of, I think, 13 we are now uh, building the upper set now. I, 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 by the way, the job center is maybe the most aptly named thing in the world uh, for, for what it does. Uh, right. um, uh, but no, but that's 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 amazing. Either plumbing or graphic design, and um, I, I wonder if there weren't any uh, uh, PE-backed uh, plumbing ventures that you missed out on there. Um, <laughs> maybe of marketing. From plumbing tech. <laughs> um, okay, so so I, you know, I'm glad you gave that background because what I want to touch on a little bit today that we talked about is is your experience in specifically in marketing at a lot of mm-hmm. these startups. Um, now you had made the comment to me prior to, to us turning on that like a lot of times you're asked to do impossible things. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you give a little bit more context to these or, or conflicting things? Uh, can you talk yeah. a little bit about this, this paradox? Yeah, I think, you know, a core tension in uh, startup scale-ups is you got to kind of build the long-term growth and scale. At the same time, there's a lot of immediate fires you got to put out, right? It's uh, building the rocket ship while it's flying, that kind of classic analogy. And I think in uh, marketing in particular, there's this need to be both uh, proactive, which is, okay, you need a vision for the future. You've got to help uh, plan predictably. You've got to build a pipeline for the future. But you've also got to be reactive. That's, you know, adapting to the market. You've got to stay relevant. You've got to respond to customer needs. And it's kind of having a, a both and mindset versus an either or mindset. You've got to be both reactive and proactive. So, you know, it's a paradox. It's got to be managed, not a problem to be solved. Uh, and you've just got to understand when you're going too far in one direction. But it's, it, it's tough from a leadership position to say, right, we need to be proactive, we've got a plan, we've got to have you know these things in place to be predictable, create revenue. But also sometimes uh, you get a curveball last minute, actually this happened, we got to shift to this strategy or we've got to quickly change our tactics. I mean, most of us probably experienced this across you know the last few years. If you had quite an events heavy schedule, if that gets, you know, pivoted and you know events suddenly go away it's like well how are we gonna suddenly fill up this next nine months of 
pipeline that we thought you know 50 percent would come from events so i think it's it, it's a a healthy mindset to be able to but you know both be proactive when you need to but also react to the market and you know be responsive and agile as a marketing team sure and and i i think you called out a, a good example there because it, well that really applies to everyone I, I think, right? Like, right. like unless you were Zoom, right? Like, you were probably pretty yeah. negatively affected in in that in that respect. Uh, so, a question I have is like, so if you're not trying, you know, it's almost like an optimization. Then, like, how how are you spending enough time being reactive and enough time being proactive, and not? I, I think a lot of people try to be totally proactive and and just saying, hey, we will we will we will find that line. Are there any? Let's dig a little bit deeper. So. You are starting, let's call it yearly planning, quarterly planning, right? You're looking ahead at some yeah. point. How do you get ready to be reactive? Like, like I, I know that, that, that maybe that's the paradox, yeah. but what are things you can do to think about, all right, here's how we'll be flexible. Is it a percent of budget, yeah. a percent of, like, what is that like? I think it, it starts from, uh, I like to run a pre-mortem, a quarter of a project, which is you get the team in a room, you say, right, we fast forward three months in the future, we failed, we missed our target, we missed our goal. What went wrong? And that like upfront, just kind of working as a team, going through the possible challenges that could happen, it really surfaces the stuff that people already know, but don't kind of say, so you've probably been there before, you're at the kickoff of a project, right, right, we've got this big target for Q4, we're gonna do this, this, and this, everyone's really confident, everyone's like, yeah, we're gonna smash the target. You get to the end of it and there are probably some things that happened that you knew were going to happen and everyone on the team because they're experienced because they're smart knew would happen but didn't kind of say at the beginning so i think step one get those things out in the open at the beginning and actually you get really good uh insights from people like yeah this you know so and so could do this or events could get shut down or this this and this and then you can come up with proactive solutions that say okay do we have a contingency plan if that happens? How do we build that into the plan? So I think to your question, it's kind of thinking upfront what the reaction could be. And that helps you kind of be forewarned or forprepared for that thing happening. Because most of the things we can, uh, I guess, intuit are things that are more likely to happen. Now, obviously, if there's a complete different curveball, like an asteroid hits the Earth, we're in a different ball game completely but yeah i think that that helps just uh surface those uh potentialities i i will say i'd never heard the term pre-mortem um right before, but I, yeah. I like that of because what you're what you're really doing is you're creating a, a you're creating as a leader you're creating a blameless space where people can yeah. kind of be open and there's no insecurities it's it's like hey let's get this out because i i think that's what's so hard is is if you're when you're a performer even if you're yourself is are a leader it's hard in a lot of times to be open about why this might fail and why that's okay. Yeah. Because if it does, what are the things we can do about it? What is the risk we're taking on? I, I think that's good to, to get ahead of that. You can really do that at any time frame too, right? Like that can, yeah. Yeah. that can go, yeah. like you had said, quarterly, you can go big with it yearly, or you, you can go like, like, Hey, why, why might we not hit our goals this week? Mm hmm. Exactly. And it, you nailed it. It's that blameless space. I think when you kind of frame it as the future things, as it hasn't actually happened, but it could happen. People start thinking, uh, you know, I encourage people, I like, think of the craziest thing that can happen. Like I said, 
uh, the internet blows up, right? I mean, someone said that, you know, the internet dies, uh, World War Three, da, da, da. But that kind of freeness of expression helps people get to the, you know, next layer down, which is the more feasible stuff that could happen. You know, even for, you could say, what, what could go wrong with this podcast? You know, Wi-Fi is bad in the office. <laughs> you know, things get choppy, this, this doesn't get uploaded or, you know, right. if you, you know, you know, all these things and most of these, you know, from experience, but if you think about them up front, you can say, actually, what would happen if we did this? Do I have an alternative platform I could use? What's like plan B? What's the contingency? And that kind of helps you just get ahead of the problem. Yeah. That, that entire, uh, that, that it's not a failure mindset, but it's almost like like you could almost talk about it as such of like, hey, how yeah. do we get more okay with how this could fail and get better at yeah. not doing that because it because once you're in that mindset, that that's uh, that's that's a, a lot different. L- let me ask you. Let me let me take the conversation in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. We said it's, you're trying to optimize. You don't want to be too reactive. You don't want to be too proactive. Yeah. You know, for for people that don't have a number on their head, right? Whether you know, depending on the size of the startup. You, you might not have a, a revenue number that's tied to you. How, what are signs that you're you're doing okay, right? Like, how do you how do you know if you're balancing this right, or how do you know if you're too reactive and you're getting lucky, right? Like, like is there any any way to think that, or is it a feel? I think it's a bit of both. So I think there's you see like polarity. You got one extreme, which is super proactive one extreme is super reactive what are the i guess characteristics or attributes of a team or a person who are displaying that too much so you know a team that's always reactive probably stressed all the time getting stuff incoming they don't finish stuff you know because there's so much going on they don't have time for planning they don't have a plan if you can see those signs then you know you know what we probably veered too much uh towards Mm -hmm. one polarity and then to your point previously, is say, okay, if we're 100% uh, being reactive right now, and we're in reactive mode, what's the kind of rough percentage that will draw us away from that? And you can use like simple stuff like time or yeah. you know the effort that you're putting into certain things. So you know what? One day a week is taken away from this kind of stuff where we're going to have strategy or planning meetings. So I think just that you know, qualitative view on what does it feel like or what does it look like uh, to be in one of these modes it is super interesting. And I think if the team or an individual is aware of that, you can actually almost have a chart that's like, hey, too far here, here are the like three warning signs and too far here, here are three other warning signs. You can kind of keep balancing it and, and managing that paradox. Let, let me throw an idea at you that I've I've never considered, but it's starting to feel good. I, I think that the idea is and and maybe i'm off base here is that we're too reactive i think i think that's the mistake that teams would make they're not proactive enough they're too reactive i would say where i've seen a lot of teams go wrong is they're too proactive and not reacting to the very real immediate things that just sprang out of the blue right the opportunities Mm -hmm. that are put that are popped up in the middle that we didn't plan for let me let me get your thoughts on what if you had a proactive side of the marketing team and a reactive side like hey this quarter one one part of the team is only going to work on this part of the team is only going to work on things that aren't going to deliver for more than three weeks and this part of the team you have to make something happen in the next three weeks right now what is it and you almost say hey these are different kinds of marketing exposure and communication let me get your take on that what do you what do you think of that as an idea first off super interesting so i think i guess to how you framed it i think um 
you said most teams are too proactive. I think it's, it's the nuances. People are reactive to the wrong things sometimes. So, you know, if you're missing the important reactions like uh, customer feedback or, you know, competitor change or the market has shifted, I think then you're too proactive in that sense. And often for marketing teams, you can get reactive because uh, someone shouted loudly for, a, you know, a one pager on something or a, a slide in a deck. I think so. I think that's the first kind of part of that response is knowing what to react to versus what to be, you know, proactive about. Mm -hmm. To your, to your second part on this kind of dual track team, right? You've got this proactive team, a reactive team. That's super interesting. And I'm wondering how it would work across specific functions. For example, let's, let's think of uh, product marketing. So that's a part of the org that needs to be quite right. strategic, right? You need to look at uh, your buyers, you need to look at the market, you need to see what's going on in, mm. with your competitors. But there's also more faster moving stuff like go to market uh, product releases and developments on that side and, you know, changes to both. I think it could actually be a good experiment. I, I was actually, when you first said it, I'm like, that's crazy because those two sides need to be connected, right? You can't have a team that's like, I'm planning a thing and there's one team reacting to something else. Well, and But it, yeah, go ahead. Well, because you, you had even mentioned like product marketing, because as you were talking, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking now, right? How much great potential work gets dropped because people are too afraid of a bad V1, right? This is something we talk about all right. the time, right? Like, like mm -hmm. you're, you're not actually making a minimum viable product. You're waiting too long. Well, if one team has to ship now, that almost brings that conversation. How many uh, case studies could you get mm -hmm. out? Like, let's think, okay, so, so every product marketing team, right? We need more case yeah. studies, right? I posted a meme mm -hmm. about it on LinkedIn the other day, right? We all want more case studies. Well, if you don't have time to plan and think about a case study, what if you just did a rough version one, as an example, without the client's logo, how much more often would that then get their buy-in to do a full case study as it, mm. as, as one example in product marketing, right? Like, Hey, because someone had to do something quickly, not poorly, but quickly. Yeah. I think, I mean, look, case studies, the ultimate, uh, vaporware, so, uh, right? Because you know, you, you, you kind of say, right, we've got this client, they really love us. You know, it could be a great case study. Two years later, it's like, yeah, we're waiting on legal sign up, marketing sign up, and da da da. I think um, that kind of call it like growth kind of mindset of you know, rapid iteration and you know just kind of plugging through versions. That's something you can build into any team. I think, regardless of if you call it the proactive team, reactive team. You know, for example, in my team, we've got a, a kind of biweekly cadence of what I call the marketing learning session, which is what have we learned over the past two weeks uh, from a small experiment that we did towards a bigger thing. So to your point, it could be, okay, how do we make case study uh, collection or the process quicker? Maybe it is kickoff with the anonymous study, you know, Fortune 500 global pharmaceutical company does this and then presenting it back to a client and saying, okay, this is an example of what we could do. So I think you can build that uh, test and learn cadence into a team without necessarily splitting out the two, if that makes sense. But on a side note, what you just suggested with case studies is actually a really good idea. So I'm not sure if you actually, if you've done that before, but I'm probably going to be borrowing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, uh, 
if you go to you know enablex.com slash enablement recipes i do have a, a six-part series on that that but but uh, i didn't want to bury the lead there that's a that's a thing we've done yeah. in the past. no but but i i think it comes from the mentality Go go beyond product market. Go to demand gen, right? How often yeah, yeah. have we spent weeks getting the perfect conversion page, landing page, right? For something like mm-hmm. that. When, hey, maybe if you just got a V1, it could have given you a lot of data, right? I, 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 I like this idea of, you know, I wouldn't tell any marketing team to be more reactive. But to your point, mm-hmm. be more reactive to the right triggers. Be more reactive yeah. in short-term thinking to getting stuff out there and mm-hmm. create a proactive plan that that falls into. But also, just like uh, reacting to the right things, it's about testing the right things. So how often have you run an experiment or you've you know, had an experiment your team has run that's like, okay, we A-B tested two subject lines. One had a you know 10.1% click-through, one had a 102 So our conclusion is we don't really have a conclusion, right? And I think uh, so many experiments, yeah. the easiest experiments to do are all the stuff like that. We tweet, we tweet the subject line, not much of a difference, so we didn't actually take action. And I think, to your point, are there bigger stake things that we can kind of test or more radical tests that give us a direction? Just like, you know, there are certain things that are good to react to that will have an impact on moving the needle. I think that's uh, another thing to, to look at when you're looking at that kind of test and learn uh, mentality. Sure. Sure. As we as we uh, as we kind of close out here, I, I did want to ask, um, you know, from your seat, you've been like you said, you've been at startups for a while, right? Backed, mm-hmm. not backed, all of that. Uh, what's one consistent? I, I would say, what do you think is the biggest agent of like change? Like, what do you think is the thing that will that is most likely to rapidly change in the next few years, whether it be on the sales or the marketing side? Like, like maybe something that's bugging you that you think there's going to be a radical solution for, or something that you mm-hmm. see and you're like, this this is not going to be the way it is in five years. Yeah. So this is the point where everyone talks about you know Web three and you know blockchain and stuff. I think I feel like as businesses we've overcomplicated the buying process. And I think, you know, there's obviously been talk about this across the industry, you know, aligning with the customer more. I think, you know, it's probably a further breaking down of that um, customer journey across these silos of, you know, sales, marketing, you got BDRs, SDRs, you know, sales engineering, you got enablement helping all and the different kind of areas within that. You know, I think it's more an organizational shift towards how revenue is generated and better aligning with you know how people want to buy i mean how often have we i mean look we're we're in the business right when you want to go and buy software you know okay i'm gonna get an outreach from an sdr who's gonna do a quick kind of discovery call and pass me on to an ae and you know go through all that but you know, particularly in, in the business that, you know, Sedna's in, we, we sell a lot into uh, the shipping industry. They're not used to buying software in that way or buying things in that way. And, you know, on our side, we're like, okay, how do we better kind of educate the market on how to purchase software? But the other side of it is how can we adapt our own system to better suit how they want to buy? And, you know, oftentimes I think, you know, SaaS companies are not always set up with the customer in mind. So I guess, you know, coming back to your original question, I think the shift has been towards that more kind of customer centric view of uh, the buying process and how people want to uh, interact with companies. And, you know, there's probably a range of technologies and other pieces that come into this, obviously, uh, throughout different stages of the 
the buying cycle and enable it's being one but i think you know companies themselves need to kind of shift how they sell and market to, to customers to optimize that cycle one thing i'll add on to that because i think that's a good point that's going to look different for every company the way that yeah. shipping companies want to buy is going to be different than how analytics companies want to buy. And like maybe some of these companies like that traditional qualification discovery, see if we're right for sure, but many won't. And I think it'll be that shift is which companies are going to copy what other companies are doing and which companies mm -hmm. are going to find how their buyer wants to buy and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Agree. And you know, that, that one size fits all doesn't fit all. And to your point, you know, Perhaps some are, you know, actually I really like buying in this way. It helps me, you know, go through a cycle. It's predictable, but you know, other customers are like, what the hell is this? I just want to buy a thing. I mean, put through all these different stages with different people and, you know, yeah, that's friction. Yeah. And I, listen, I know, I know too, a lot of people that buy software hate how they're buying software. They hate their procurement departments. They hate that it has to go through right. these checks and backgrounds, but that's, that's, that's how enterprise selling has been. And, and we'll see if if businesses, sellers, and buyers can change. Yeah, yeah, be an interesting thing to look at. All right, we've had a great conversation here. Uh, and then right before we wrap up, anything you'd like to point the people to, either here or something you'd like us to feature on the podcast page, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, I think, um, I guess, bringing awareness to what Sedna is trying to do because it probably affects all of us. So, you know, I talked about uh, the paradox of, uh, you know, marketing of scale-ups and startups, you know, we're kind of balancing a par paradox ourselves, which is the fact that email is this business critical system. It's at the center of a lot of what businesses do. It's a universal medium from communication. It's got a ton of data and insight within it. And yet, you know, if you ask people, Hey, do you like email? Everyone says, hell no, I hate email. It's, you know, a beast I have to feed. But the, 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 the tension is, you know, if I, if I went to a business and said, hey, do you want to turn off your email system tomorrow? They're like, no, that would be ridiculous. So, you know, Sedna kind of sits in that middle of that tension uh, that, you know, email is potentially, you know, the most valuable uh, resource within your company, but it's just not fit for purpose for how we work today. So, you know, I think in this kind of current climate, we've got, you know, geopolitical tension, potential, you know, pand uh, pandemic stuff going on, you know, recession, economic crisis is just take a look at, you know, the system that's right in front of your face. That is uh, a critical operational piece of your business and ask yourself, you know, are we working for email or is email working for us? And I think, you know, it's easy to look at your business and look for efficiencies look for effectiveness. Speaking from the marketing side, marketing budgets can often get cut as a, you know, a first wave of, of, you know, making those efficiencies. But also I'd say look to different systems that you've lived with, uh, a kind of dull pain in the background and, and ask yourself, is there a more immediate pain that you're actually experiencing you don't know about? So yeah, small, uh, little plug for Sedna, but more about the navigating, we're, we're to navigating, yeah. conflicting, uh, uh, what, what was it? Navigate. Right. No, listen, navigating, conflicting um, uh, uh, requests at a startup, being reactive to the right things and, and solving email. Uh, I feel like we covered a lot of ground here today. Uh, uh, no, yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on the episode, uh, uh, Tom. It's, it's, been, it's been fun. 
you're welcome. Been a great conversation. And I'm going to take away that case study thing and that reactive, proactive team uh, idea. I'll have a think on that because there could be legs to it. Someone's going to try it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, right. Tom Lloyd. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers, Nick. This has been Mind the Gap, a podcast about sales and marketing alignment put on by Enablex. My name is Nick Zeke Lopez. Thanks for listening.